This is an ABC podcast. Of all of the disasters that have struck us in the last two years, Norman, the pandemic, the looming threat of war, natural disasters, including me being flooded into my house more than once in the last seven days, the thing that made us not be able to produce a podcast on Wednesday was Tasmania. Yeah. I mean, coronacasters don't realise that for two years, Tasmania has been coronacast central. <laughs> exactly. It's the home of the, the real brains behind this outfit, Will Ockenden, our producer, who actually does all the hard work in, in making, <laughs> making us sound well-spoken. And he didn't have any internet. He didn't. He would talk about neutralising antibodies. Will was neutralised by two fibre optic tables being knocked down. I've never heard him so desperate. Maybe he cut the cable so we wouldn't have to do the podcast. Well, he does have a backhaul, I'm told. Well, we're back with Coronacast, our podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 4th of March 2022. And if I'm not mistaken, Norman, on the 4th of March 2020 was our first ever episode of Coronacast. Gosh, and now we're at episode number 459. Well, let's get into it. One of the big milestones that we've been waiting for for some months now uh, as a nation was the reopening of the West Australian border, which has happened this week. They've opened, reopened to the rest of the country. There's international flights arriving. They're still living under some pretty strict restrictions. And even before the borders opened, they were getting up to about 1,000 cases a day. So What's the next few weeks look like for WA? Well, there's only so many days I can wear my quokka socks, so I'm going to have to get over to <laughs> um, Rottnest you know, fairly soon. The predictions are that uh, West Australia peak at around about 10,000 cases a day. Their social and public health measures that they put in place ahead of time have shown what could have happened actually in the East Coast, if particularly New South Wales, if they had got in early in December. So there's reasonable measures in place. There's... Whilst the doubling time is only a few days, it probably is slower and has allowed a lot of Western Australians to get immunised. Still got major problems in several Aboriginal communities and there's a a push on to get Aboriginal communities immunised with both their first doses and their third doses. As a whole, though, they've got a pretty strong double-dose vaccination rate, well above 95% and 64% of third doses. So a bit better prepared than the eastern states were when they reopened. And freshly vaccinated, relatively speaking, which means that there's still a high proportion of Western Australians who are resistant to the infection in the first place, which is really good news. And uh, this is when you want it right now. Well, welcome back, WA. We hope it goes well for you. What about the rest of the country, Norman? We haven't really done a bit of a roundup of how things are tracking for a couple of weeks now. It's very hard to know how we're really tracking because we don't really know the true number of cases. But if you assume that hospitalisations and deaths is a reflection of the number of cases around, they're continuing to be reasonably under control. New South Wales still has the most hospitalisations, but the systems around the country seem to be coping. But I just want to take a moment's pause here because we have had over 2,000 deaths in the Omicron outbreak. This has been the worst year of the pandemic so far for Australia. Other countries fared worse in previous years, but this is the worst year for us. So whilst Omicron has been milder than Delta, we've been well immunised and relatively speaking had fewer deaths, we've had larger absolute numbers because because of the enormous proportion of Australians who've actually been infected. And deaths is only one measure of the impact of the pandemic as well. There's a lot of people who are, I mean, not to minimise, it's tragic for those people's people's families, but also lots of people living with prolonged symptoms as well. But the good news is that vaccination does 
minimize long COVID and hopefully that will minimize the impact moving forward. But there are people who will suffer significant symptoms in the weeks and months to come. So talking about this sort of sense of living with the virus, how is the medical system coping with the current case numbers? Look, I think it's, it's coping quite well, and it's coping quite well in Western Australia. Western Australia really had a problem because they've got fewer ICU beds, intensive care beds per capita uh, than other states, so they're not as well provided, and they are concentrated around metropolitan Perth, and that's a bullet that they really needed uh, to dodge. But the rest of the system is coping quite well at the moment, and hopefully whatever variants come are not going to be more severe, but we've got no guarantee of that. So a group of people that are particularly worried about COVID are, of course, people who are vulnerable to its severe effects, people who are maybe immunocompromised or have other reasons why they would be worried about catching it. And the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, has recently approved a new type of COVID protection, which I found kind of interesting because we've talked a lot about vaccines and we've talked a fair bit about treatments if, that you know, you'd get if once you catch the virus, if you're unlucky enough to do so and get severe symptoms. But this is sort of like a in-between point. It's a pre-exposure prophylaxis. It's this sort of medication that gives you short-term protection against the virus if you were to encounter it that day, basically. Well, maybe not short-term. So pre-exposure prophylaxis with HIV is short-term. So this is where um, if you're out on the town, you think you're going to have sex and you want to protect yourself against HIV. It's largely for the gay male community, but essentially does provide protection and does not seem to cause viral resistance. This kind of pre-exposure prophylaxis is a, a drug produced by AstraZeneca, and it's two antibodies. The trade name is Evisheld. And these two antibodies, when injected, probably last about a year. And they're really designed for people who are profoundly immunocompromised, people who've got organ transplants and who are not getting a good antibody response from their vaccine. So these are people who already should have had their fourth dose three months after their third dose, if they were eligible for that. Um, That does, does give them a better response, but this is the protection that they will probably need moving forward. And as far as I'm aware, they do, it, it's slightly reduced in terms of its effectiveness with Omicron, but still works. So in a sense, it's providing the antibodies you get with the vaccine, but artificially in a sense. So how is it different to a vaccine? It's giving you the antibodies straight up rather than enticing your body to produce them itself? So first things first, it's the, they're giving you the antibodies. And the antibodies are really the front line of defence against the virus and hopefully stop it in its tracks. What they don't give you is the T-cell response. So when you get a vaccine, it goes deep into the immune memory and these T-cells are, are, are the cells. So just to explain, antibodies are dissolved in your blood. There are chemicals that are dissolved in your blood that can attack the virus. But viruses are also attacked by the very white cells themselves. And that's, these are the, this is the T-cell response in particular. And it's thought that the T-cells are the ones that really protect you against severe disease. So the question really with the Evisheld is it will protect you against infection and probably hold the line against severe disease, but you haven't got the backup of the T-cell response. And, and the T-cells are quite knocked off in people who've got organ transplants because this is where you get rejection from. So who is it for and when would it be given? It's not given instead of a vaccine. No, it's not given instead of a vaccine. So this is not what 
say, President Trump or the Queen would have received or people get when they're getting symptoms and getting sick. So this is not sotrovimab. Oh, like a monoclonal. It's not a monoclonal antibody. Well, they are monoclonal antibodies, but they're not the monoclonal antibodies that you use to treat the disease. They may be effective treatment, but they're not, they're not used in this sense. So it's not like the antivirals and it's not like sotrovimab where you give it when symptoms appear. This is prophylaxis where you get an injection. So imagine you've had a heart transplant or a lung transplant or liver or kidney transplant. You would get this injection now before you're actually infected with the virus itself. In addition to the vaccines that I would have already received. That's right. So you've already received your vaccine, but now you would be eligible for this injection to supplement that, to give you extra antibodies. What advantages does this have on top of just perhaps giving someone an extra booster shot of the vaccine? Because the neutralizing antibodies, so these are the antibodies that the vaccine induces to kill the virus or at least control the virus when it gets into your body. When you've got, when you're on major immunosuppressive drugs, you get a very low neutralizing antibody response. And what this does is artificially provide you with those neutralizing antibodies that the the vaccine just isn't getting there with those. This has only been provisionally approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration about a week ago. What do we know about its availability, how much it costs and that sort of thing? How people will get it is not entirely clear yet. It's going to come out of the medical stockpile because it's not yet been approved by what's called the Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee, which allows these things to be prescribed on regular scripts. By the way, one of the antivirals, which is molnupiravir, has been approved for use on an ordinary script. Uh, I don't think Paxlovid has yet, but uh, that could be superseded by the time you listen to this. Coronacast, so it's not entirely clear how you're going to get it. It's likely that heart transplant units and other transplant units will have stocks of this. We just don't know yet. And how does it perform against variants? Reduced performance against Omicron, but it still performs reasonably well, is my understanding of the science. So fascinating. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today. We'll catch you on Monday. See you then.